The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Uh, I'm talking with Captain Jeff White. Hi, Jeff. Hi there, Dave. Now, we're speaking via Skype. Uh, You're in uh, Albury in Australia. Well, New South Wales, Australia, yes. Right, so you're (laughs) sort of just outside of Albury. Yes, on the the edges, there's a a, um, retirement village settlement, and uh, I'm living in there. Right, okay. So you you were born, uh, were you born in Auckland? I was born in Australia. Oh, were you really? Oh, okay. So when did you come to New Zealand originally? 1933. Okay. How I old were you? I can't remember much of it. My, my father uh, emigrated from the UK with his family uh, after the war. Yep. And uh, met my mother, who was from New Zealand. And... Uh, Found for a little while, not far from here. Yep. And we went to New Zealand in 1933. Okay. Uh, so when were you born? You when were you born in Australia? Where or when? Oh, both. Where a place called Tongala. Yep. Which is not far from here, down down the river a bit. Okay. 1927. Right, so you were around about five or six when you came to New Zealand. That's right, I was just on six, yeah. Okay, and where did you move to uh, when you arrived in New Zealand? I lived in Christchurch. Okay. Because my mother was from there, so uh, I I never really caught up with a lot of the thinking behind the moves and so on, but uh, didn't seem to worry about it at the age of six. Right, of course, yeah. So did you uh, see much aviation going on around Christchurch while you were growing up? I had two bits of wood in the stick uh, around the backyard playing uh, takeoffs and landings. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever, did uh, you ever uh, take, go I out? I started it all as the um, 
London to Melbourne air race in 1934. Oh, right, okay. Where Stratton Black won with their Comet. Right. And that started me on it. Oh, right, okay. Aviating thing. So did you see, did you actually see them or were you just following them through the newspapers? Oh, just, uh, just through the newspapers, really. Right, right. Oh, they they, uh, they were in London and Melbourne, not Mars uh, and Christchurch at the time. Yeah, yeah. Did you see any uh, uh, any flying though from Christchurch at Wigram or anything like that? Did you ever go go out to the airfield? No, uh, it didn't actually. Uh, I might have seen the odd aeroplane go overhead, but I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So, uh, what? Because uh, you you went up to Auckland, didn't you? After that. Well, my father uh, had several jobs at the end of the depression, and here and there, yes, we finished up near Pukekohe, actually. Oh right, okay, okay. So, how old were you when you moved up to Pukekohe? Trying to remember. Probably eight or nine, something like that. Oh, right. Okay. And, um, and later on, moved to uh, Auckland, where I went to grammar. Oh, right. Okay. Is that where you met up with uh, Ray Hanna? I met up with Ray Hanna at, uh, when I'd finished uh, secondary school. And Raid yep. finished at Tech, and we both joined 19 Squadron ATC. Okay, Un okay. unknown to each other at that stage, of course. But then we became better acquainted as uh, time progressed. Right. So that would have been uh, what around 1941, 42. Uh, a bit later than that, Dave, uh, 40. End of '43, I left to Mount Albert Grammar and uh, got a, a job in, in the city. Yep. Just to keep me going till I could get into the Air Force. Okay. All right. <laughs> it was All right. So, one ambition. So, so where was 19 Squadron based? Where did you meet up? Oh, there was a uh, oh, the hall in oh, what they call it now. You'll have to excuse me a little bit. Uh, some of the, the, the thought strands are a bit bit on the weak side. Oh, uh, that, yeah, uh, that's fine. <laughs> but there's a drill hall in Ponsonby. Okay. Right. And so how often would you go to a, uh, to parades? Would it be a weekly thing or? Oh, it's very much a weekly thing. We, Wednesday nights or something like that. I'd get on the bike and head to town and... Uh, Cars weren't heard of in those days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so was it mostly a lot of drill or, or were you uh, taking classes and navigation and all that sort of thing as well? Or? Yeah, we, we did classes and all sorts of things. Aircraft engines and uh, navigation and weather and so on. Okay. Uh, that must have been quite a thrill for someone like yourself who uh, had been 
a long time aviation fan to to be able to go along to an organization like that <clears throat> well it was it was it was very good we uh, had some things at uh, at grammar when i was in the last year a couple of years at school and uh, drilling and fire learning how to fire a rifle and so on things like that and uh, yep but it was waiting while uh, I, did, I had a low temp job uh, having applied for the Air Force and uh, they finally said yes you can join. Okay, okay. So what was what was Ray like in those days? <clears throat> Just like the rest of us I guess. Uh, and we both uh, Got to uh, were approved for uh, flight training with uh, with the Air Club on a uh, or what they call it now. It was it like a scholarship type thing? Yeah, the, the flying scholarship. We we did twenty hours, I think it was, uh, in, in Tiger Moths and uh, with the uh, with Air Club instructors. Okay, so was that the first time that you actually got airborne? No, probably the second or third though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it, toward the end of the war, we, all, all the ADC cadets were offered a ride in a, in a Tiger Moth just to see what it felt like, you know. Oh, yes, of course. And yep, that yep. great big aerodrome paddock called Mangary. Which is now, of course, the International Airport. That's right. Yeah. I can say I landed there a few times. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll bet. Um, so, uh, uh, you're, you uh, get, get your 20 hours at the uh, at the Aero Club, and was it from there that you then joined the Air Force? Yes. I, uh, as far as the aviation side was concerned, yes. I, uh, when, when did I join the Air Force? 1948. So, okay. about three years after the war finished. Okay. And the Air Force uh, decided they needed to keep training people, otherwise they'd run out of pilots. Right, because at that stage they were calling it the interim Air Force, weren't they? Where most people had wanted to get out after the war, and they had a they had a big gap in, in uh, between the sort of sort of nineteen forty six to well forty seven through to the nineteen fifty around about. They had a, a quite a recruiting drive, didn't they? Yes, they uh, encouraged uh, the air training corps people, I think, mostly. And I guess anybody else who wanted to be in. Right, right. But uh, yeah, it was it was quite good. The names that you you may have heard, I don't know. But I think there were about twenty courses over the period of time. And Ray, Hannah, and I both applied to go to the RNZAF. And they said, "Sorry, son, uh, you didn't have enough education. You, Ray'd only been to tech for two years, not, and I'd, I'd done three at grammar. So, all oh, right, they don't know what they lost." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow, that's that's uh, yeah. I, I bet a few people look back. Uh, you know, and think, oh gosh, we could have had him in our air force, but yeah, yeah. So, so 
Uh, Ray, Ray went off to work his way to UK on a cargo ship and uh, presented himself to the Air Ministry and said, I want to fly. Right. Did you keep in touch with him after he left and, and you carried on in the in the RNZF? Oh, large gaps when we were able to uh, see each other again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think right. he was a pilot with Cathay by that time. Oh, no, I saw him once before that. But I knew where his parents were and I talked to them occasionally and kept up. Oh, okay. okay. So uh, when you joined, uh, you obviously had to go and do a wings course. Did you find that quite easy? I wouldn't have said easy. Uh, I may have been a bit more familiar with it than some people who hadn't done air training core things, you know. Yep. But uh, well, number two hangar at Wigram was our classroom. Okay. Yep. So uh, you were flying tigers, or did you go straight onto the Harvards? No, I did. I did uh, quite a bit of time on tigers. Yep. It's quite exciting. I haven't got my logbook handy, but there would have been a hundred hours on tiger moths, I suppose. Okay. Yep. And then uh, from there, you would have uh, progressed onto the Harvard, I guess. Yes. Uh, and we got wings on Harvards and so on. Okay. Uh, did you like the Harvard? Yes, it was a great little aeroplane. I've got a picture of three of them on the wall alongside me here at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. 10, 57, 78, and 53. Ah, right, yep. They're all still based at Ardmore now. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, the, the Warbirds air, air, aircraft, I've got a, just a formation picture. Right, right. So uh, how long was your flying training before you moved on to an actual uh, operational unit? Well, when did we start? We started classroom in August, or the end of August, uh, 48, 49, or 18 months, I suppose, nearly. Okay. And, and where were you posted to once you were qualified? Well, after we got the wings course done, we did multi-engine at, at a hack here with the Oxfords. Oh, yep, yep. And then I uh, went to squadron, I went to 41. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. What did you think of the Oxford? Probably the same as what most people thought about it. <laughs> Just lucky to hold together. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been getting fairly old by that stage. Yes, they were. Yeah. So, it's a, I mean, that's only sort of a year or so before the, the Devon started to replace them. So, um, yes. Yeah, they still kept the Oxford going for a little while, but... Uh, okay, yeah. And then the Devons, so that was... Uh, I never flew a Devon. I looked inside them, but never flew one. Right, right. So uh, you mentioned you were posted to number 41 squadron. Of course, that was a transport squadron flying uh, uh, the C-47 Dakotas, wasn't it? That's right, yeah, the Dax. What was the conversion that was, uh, that a, like? That was a big aeroplane in those days. Yeah, definitely. definitely. 
was the conversion process um you know quite a quite a big process or was it easy to step into a deck after an oxford and yeah, and just go flying? that's what happened you flew with some of the uh, squadron pilots and learned what made the the deck go which was yep. a lot lot uh, of complicated stuff yep but uh yeah yeah. And so that that was uh, based at Fenuapai. That was at Fenuapai, yeah. Right. Uh, tell me, tell me about the operations that you were flying uh, in the Dakotas. What, what sort of work were you doing? Oh, trying to trying to remember. Uh, there used to be a, a weekly uh, flight up and down the the country with supplies from. We'd go from. Uh, Fenuapai south down as far as uh, Dunedin. Oh, yep, yep. Dropping off freight and stuff and I'll go back the next day sort of thing. Okay. And we do uh, sea research. Uh, what, what, did, what did that involve? Well, sometimes people were missing in boats and things, and we would go and look for them. Oh, right. Okay. Air sea rescue type. Air sea rescue type thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Flew up to Raoul Island once. Oh yeah. Dropped dropped some papers. Up to date Herald and a few supplies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and, I didn't I I didn't realise that they were doing that that uh, that early on. I know that the Orions do that now, and they, they were doing it when I was in, but I didn't realise you guys were doing it way back in the 1950s. Well, that's right. I did one trip up there. There was navigation practice, too, for the navigators who were learning. Yep. People like Graham Bayless, I remember quite well. That, uh, I think he navigated me to Rowland back very successfully, so... Uh, no complaints. Right. <laughs> did, did you ever get uh, any other overseas trips uh, with the squadron? Did, did you fly up to the Pacific Islands very much? Or, um, I mean, I guess New Zealand was involved in the Korean War then. Were the aircraft going up and down for that? Or? Well, they'd finished going, uh, I think they'd stopped going to Korea uh, while I was early in the squadron. But uh, Okay, yep. I uh, I did a couple of trips to Singapore, Changi, Singapore. Yep. As a Sprog PO, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> they you said one day, well, you can go and get a new Bristol freighter for us. So I did that too. Yeah. Now tell me about that. Well, the Air Force decided that they needed to replace the decks for, for whatever reason. And uh, we were getting, I think it was about 12 Bristol freighters. And they were they were uh, being flown out here by New Zealand crews from Britain? Yes, we, we had to go over and collect them. Right. And we got checked out by a uh, Bristol test pilot and uh, did a bit of flying around the UK. Get familiar, then they said, well, you better take it back to Auckland. Okay, so so you did that uh, conversion training actually at Filton itself, did you? 
Well, I did the finishing off bits here. Okay. Uh, I had done some Bristol Freighter work with Straight Air Freight before we went. So oh, I think right. about four of us were seconded to uh, to the airline to get familiar with the freighters. That's interesting. That was interesting. Back and forth across Cook Strait. Yeah. Rough as anything. <laughs> and then into Wellington, which is also rough. Yeah, right. No, I think we use Parapram most of the time. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, we're only going with uh, the, the company pilots, you know. Yep. Yeah, so okay. That was interesting time. Then... Uh, that took about three months, I think, out of our year, and uh, and after that, uh, disappeared off to find the new airplane. Right. Uh, so, which was the which aircraft did you bring back? <clears throat> well, oh, this would be a bit long-winded, but you'll notice in my membership of your organisation, my code is Fighter O three. Yeah. Actually, 5903 registration. Exactly. And that's the one that's in the Air Force Museum, isn't it, at the moment? That's right, yes. That's the last time I saw it. Was... Right. So so you were the uh, you were the uh, second pilot. Who who else was on the crew that ferried it out? Um, who else was on the crew? There was a, a, a navigator, Brian Collins. And uh, there was Jack Hobday radio, and uh, you might know him, the engineer, uh, Sergeant uh, Norm Work. Okay, yep. He was in the squadron, and, and it, was, it was just the four of us went across, did some flying, and then we headed, headed back to NZ. So you, you, so you flew as the captain in the aircraft? Oh yes, <laughs> yes. I uh, they trusted us enough at that stage to say go get it. Okay. It, it the nearest I'd been before was Changi. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do you remember the route? Do you remember the legs that you flew? I can just about get most of the destinations. I went from the UK to. Uh, Marseille to Malta, uh, Malta overnight, and then on to uh, Cyprus, India. Where, where did I go in India? Karachi, rather. Oh, yes. Then up to Delhi and Rangoon, and down to Changi from there. It all took about 13, 14 days. Right. And from, so you, from uh, Changi, we rested for a couple of days and went to, went down okay. to uh, Bali and uh, or somewhere near somewhere near there, yeah. and uh, down across the usual route to Phnopai. Okay, so you must have had some fairly long flying hours. Uh, I mean, some of those are quite long distances, and uh, in, in something as slow as a Bristol freighter, I'd imagine. Yes, it wasn't jet speed, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah. the, the, 
the old aeroplane kept us going and uh, rumbled on and uh, and we made it. Yeah. And of course, they were brand new aircraft back then, so you must have uh, felt pretty confident in them, I suppose. Well, as far as the aeroplane is concerned, yes, the, uh, the old Bristol Hercs kept turning and that was it. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we had a bit of radio trouble, but uh, didn't get shot at by any Indonesians, and uh, so we considered ourselves fortunate. Yeah, sounds like it. So once you were back on, but you'd you'd arrived back at Fanuapai, did you remain flying on the freighters, or so, because this? The squadron still had Dakotas as well, didn't it? Oh, the squadron was still there and people were coming in and joining it. Yep. I did a bit of instructing to, so that people knew uh, how to t turn the engine on and turn it off again, I suppose. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I, uh, I stayed there for quite a while. Okay. D did you ever do any public displays to show them off to the public? Ooh, no, I, oh, no, I don't think so. Oh, oh, I might have done a bit of a fly past in uh, Dunedin once. Oh, yeah. But no, no, nothing, nothing exciting. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, right. So who was the CO on the squadron at that time? The CO? Yeah. Was squadron leader Jim Murray. Okay. And uh, he was a good guy. And we still had quite a lot of ex-Air Force, ex-wartime people like Don Hutton and and so on. That uh, there was a bit of a gap between those people and the, the new boys like me coming on, you know. Right, right. So they must they must have been uh, pretty good with all the. I mean, they would have had a lot of experience. Those guys, the older guys. Perfect people to learn from. Yes, they were. They were. They certainly knew a lot more than I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, did you stay with uh, Forty One Squadron right through until you left the Air Force? Yes, I, I did, uh, Dave. I uh, <clears throat> I left the Air Force about six months early. Okay. Uh, uh, I broke my contract because Teal were looking for pilots and uh, I thought, well, I, if I stay in the Air Force, I fly a desk or something one day and I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I went, went civil. Okay. So what was the process moving over to Teal uh, uh, the, uh, with, with the flying boats? Um, what was the process you went through? Uh, getting into the flying boats, you'd have to have done some sort of course in uh, like uh, ocean navigation, that sort of thing, would you? Or Yes, well, we did eventually. Uh, <clears throat> of did a, uh, uh, a, a course on the aircraft itself, on the, on the flying boat in Solent. Yep. <clears throat> and then... Uh, to be a qualified first officer, the company required you to have, na have a navigation ticket. So I did some navigation and uh, learning and 
had plenty of time crossing the Tasman. It took about eight or nine hours. And yep. But uh, <clears throat> oh, you navigated your way up to the islands and so on, Tahiti. Right. And, and what about uh, when you when you've alighted the boat and you're now on the water? Uh, you're actually you you're really uh, like a like a ship captain rather than an aircraft captain or or, or uh, you know pilot or uh, so you did you have to learn a whole lot of skills uh, in how to tax water taxi around and mooring and all that sort of thing as well yes that was all part of the the course on the on the boat itself uh, we were taught by the uh, chief pilot uh, or chief training pilot teasing and so on and we learned what the water did for you and what floats were for and all that sort of thing right right so uh when you say it was a course was it a dedicated course where there was uh several new aircrew come along at once and they they trained you in a yeah so that's ah, okay. what happened we had half a dozen guys on the course okay so training went on after the course after you were qualified You'd be forever learning on something like that, wouldn't you? You'd be picking up stuff all the time. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Some uh, interesting experiences involved in, in that sort of process, yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the, the Solent? Uh, like, How many crew were usually on board? Well, as far as the tech crew were concerned, uh, we had a captain and a first officer was the co-pilot and in your my own early days I was a second officer so that's three pilots yep there was navigator radio operator flight engineer whopping crew yeah sometimes you had 45 passengers and sometimes you had one wow <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. And then you'd have uh, cabin crew as well? And Oh, yes, the cabin crew. There'd be uh, three, four, four cabin crew probably. Wow. Okay. Chief steward and and the cook and a uh, couple of hosties. Okay. Well, no, one hostie on the load. Did you ever get uh, passengers interested enough to come up into the cockpit and see what it's like while you're flying? Yes, quite often. Okay. It was always a bit difficult with the Solent because there were, you had to climb up a ladder to get there and so on, things like that. But yeah, yeah. We didn't encourage it too much, but uh, more once we converted to land, land planes that people could come in and just walk in the door, you know. Yes, yeah, of course. Which doesn't happen today. No, unfortunately not. No. So um, with the Solent flying up into particularly the Pacific Islands and that, um, uh, did you have much problem with weather and cancellations because of uh, um, it being too marginal? Would, would, would you, or was it fairly reliable? Could it get through heavy weather? Um. I've had the odd incident where weather was a factor in what we did sort of thing, but uh, 
in the mine is a solid old boat and uh, we flew at altitudes which avoided the worst of the weather, I think. Okay. Got very high sometimes, up to 8,000 feet. <laughs> right. I guess for a flying for a flying boat that is probably pretty high, but it doesn't sound very high, does it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I uh, just as a bit on the side here, I I had a I had a birthday a few days ago, and the, my granddaughters gave me a ride in a, in a local local aircraft. All right. I didn't fly. Well, I I did fly it, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> The uh, the pilot kept us all under control. Yes, yes. So, what was the aircraft? Oh, it was a. Uh, um, it's one I've never seen or heard of before. Actually, it was a Piper. Okay. Four seater. Uh, nose wheel. Yes, had a nose wheel. Yep. Yep. And I hadn't flown an aeroplane for years. In fact, the one time before that was uh, Warbirds Harvard. I had a flying once. Oh, right. right. But this thing, the pilot said, well, there you go. We were lined up. It should take off. So I did. Okay. All came back to you? It all came back. Yeah, brilliant. Well, never went away, I don't suppose, but no. the opportunity <laughs> <laughs> and my, my granddaughters were, who had organised all this were thrilled to bits. That's fantastic. And, had and, and happy birthday too for the other day. Uh, I know that you've had a, a, a big birthday, wasn't it? It was rather a big day, yeah. Yeah, yeah 90 years old. Fantastic. 90, that's all. Uh, and actually, uh, um, just getting back to the Solents, uh, you told me the other day that there's only uh, three pilots left now who flew the Teal Solents, which is quite surprising. But when you think about it, they were in service a long time ago. So, And a lot of those guys would have been ex-wartime too, wouldn't they? <laughs> yes, there's one, uh, one ex-wartime uh, pilot left, uh, Neville Clark. Uh, I think he's still still uh, still with us in in Auckland. Uh, yep. And there's another other there's myself, which would be now the second one, and then the guy whose name I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> Memory cells are depleting rapidly. Uh, right. He stayed on the flying boat for a while, uh, while the rest was through the DC sixes. Okay. Okay. So how long were you on the uh, Solent for before you switched? Oh, February 50, 18 months. Okay. Maybe uh, about that. So flying flying the uh, the Solent, did you ever get sick of that, or did you enjoy it the whole time? Oh, it was, it was quite enjoyable. It was the thing you did those days, and you didn't. You know, you didn't have a jet, a jet to compare with or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was just the, the stepping stone in the progress. Right, right. I guess uh, when you're going up to the Pacific, you'd be away for a few days, would you? Yes, well, it took, 
the trips up to Tahiti and back. They, uh, they went to Auckland to Lothala Bay to uh, uh, Cook Islands. Before yeah, it took over a week. Okay. And the uh, the captains are all very experienced in this thing, you know, senior bloke, all wartime people. And we had to learn a lot from them. Right. So you you got to see quite a bit of the uh, the Pacific. Just uh, in your downtime, you would have um, spent a fair bit of time up in the islands. Well, not so much in the flying boat days, but uh, yeah, we did, once we got uh, started and called in Hawaii, uh, Honolulu, uh, some of the schedules you, you, you had spent a bit of time on the beach here. Right, right, okay. So, um, how did it come about that you moved from the flying boat onto the Douglas DC-6? Well, I was pleased to get back onto a land plane again, I think, if I remember rightly. Okay. And uh, the DC-6 was quite kind to us, as far as flying was concerned. Yep. It was a nice aeroplane. Were they new when Teal got them? Were they new? Yeah. No. No, they come from uh, Cathay Pacific. Oh, okay, okay. We were supposed to get four. I think we only got three in the finish because they broke one. Oh, right. Well, they handed it over. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what sort of um, crew makeup was on them? How? What were the crew? On, on, on a... the DC-6? Yes, yeah. Oh, I was just a captain and co-pilot and uh, navigator. In the early days, uh, we had a uh, radio operator as well. Okay. They didn't have an engineer? Uh, yes, they did. Yes. Sorry, oh, yeah. I forgot. I forgot the ginger beer. <laughs> Flying the DC-6 after the Solon, was it a whole different deal? Or did it feel much the same? You just <clears throat> just get in and fly? Well, pretty much the same. you got a, a strip to come and go on and... <laughs> Uh, oh, I can't remember thinking of the differences, but we right. we did a conversion course onto it, of course, and tickets ticketed and and uh, and so on. I uh, I quite enjoyed the L six. Right. So, what were the normal destinations that you'd fly to with the DC six? Yeah. Oh, Wellington, Sydney. Oh, sorry. In Australia, there's Melbourne and uh, Sydney and Brisbane. Okay. And up to Fiji, uh, Nandi. Right. And uh, not not too many more places. We couldn't go to to Tahiti with them because they hadn't built the strip. Right. Okay. In the first place, anyway. So some of the islands were still being serviced by the Solent uh, that that didn't have strips. Yes, that's right. There was the one Solent left that uh, 
recruited, and uh, they're all based in Rosala Bay. Oh, right, okay. And is that the one that's now in Motat? That's the one that's in uh, Motat, yes. Right. Z-K-A-M-O. That's the one. It's just uh, just come out out of the hangar again and uh, is getting the scaffolding put around it so they can repaint the outside, which is, if it's going to be like the Sunderland, it's going to be fantastic because that Sunderland looks brilliant now. Does it? Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, it does. It's... I didn't know they had a Sunderland there till I read the article the other day. But Right, right. But if the, if the old boat is going to be done up, that's, it'll be great. I'd like to be yeah. able to get across and see it, but I won't be able to. I'm sure you'll see plenty of photos on the forum anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep keep putting them up there. Yeah, do that, Dave, do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so how long were you uh, flying the DC-6 before you moved on to the next aircraft? Thanks. Uh, I don't know, maybe three years. Right, okay. Then uh, we got the Electra. And then in 19... When was it? 1970, 16, 70, 70 something, we went to the DC-8s. Right. Every time you got to do a conversion course and get a piece of paper that says, yes, you can fly it. Right, right. So you went from the, the the piston radial engine DC6 onto the turboprop engine on the Electra. Was there uh, was there much of a uh, change in your mindset when you went from one to the other, or not not really? Or, you flew a bit higher and a bit faster. That was about it. Okay, okay. How long did it take to cross the Tasman? Uh, and well, say if you're going to Sydney, Auckland to Sydney, uh, how mu how much uh, did, did the Electra shave off after after the DC-6? Well, the DC-6 was maybe six hours, and you came down to the Electra, which is maybe four or five. Oh, okay. All right. And then the, down to the DC-8, which was three, three hours. Three hours. Wow. Okay. And uh, not much faster today. No, it's not. No. <laughs> so, so the... Uh, the Electra um, was a, a bigger aircraft for a number of passengers too, I guess, was it? Yeah, it had about uh, 90 passengers, 80, 80 or 90, I can't remember exactly. Okay. But, uh, yeah, about that. The DC-6 had uh, 50 or something. No, 50, must have been a bit more than that, 60-odd passengers. Right. And I really can't remember the, any exact numbers, Dave. No, no. Well, that's right. And then, you, as you mentioned, you stepped up onto the DC-8, which was uh, jet-powered, and that would have been your first jet, I guess. Yes, first jet. Right. Uh, hadn't flown one in the Air Force, or so, uh, yeah, that was the first jet. Okay. And did you like the DC-8? Oh, yes, it was a nice ship to fly, yeah. Were they quite luxurious inside, uh, or were they more like you see today with just uh, a lot of economy? Oh no, the first class was a, a good, uh, good spot. No, okay. no, they, they, they were quite well fitted out. 
messengers okay. yes and then uh was it sort of mid 1970s you went on to the dc-10 uh yes would have been uh, no, i can't remember the dates <laughs> Don't. yeah but uh, yeah, converted to the tens and about when? About 70, late 70s, mid 70s. Right, right. And what did you think of the DC 10? Oh, beautiful ship. Pretty fast? <clears throat> yeah, it's about 0 0.8, uh, 0.8, what do we cruise at? 4, 0.84. Okay. Mark number yeah. that is. Yep, yep. I, I did a two engine landing somewhere once. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which engine was that? Was it the tail or one of the ones on the wings? No, it was one of the, uh, number one, I think. Oh, okay. It lost all oil pressure on it. And <clears throat> I was halfway to Singapore, so uh, carried on and uh, they fixed it for us. Oh, okay. Did you have any other incidents or, um, you know, problems like that in your career flying? Did you have any other, yeah, you know, major problems like, like a loss of engine or any scary things that happened? Oh, I can think of a couple, Dave. Think of a couple. Uh, one on the flying boat, I finished up, the, finished the flight on out on the wingtip because the float had gone. Yep. Okay. I'd attack him. All right. And uh, what else was there? Yeah, what it, through, the float got knocked off, which they did sometimes with a wave or yep. hard landing or something like that. Right. You had to go out on the opposite wing and add a bit of weight so nothing overbalanced over to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So did, could you recover the float and put it back on, or? Yes. Okay. It took a week. Yep, yep. So those holiday makers got a little bit uh, longer on their holiday, maybe. Yeah, no, not too much longer. They sent a Bristol fighter up to pick pick them all up and. Uh, oh right. Okay. Passengers and things. We we flew the boat back later on. Oh okay okay. Oh, did, oh, a, a Bristol freighter flight from the Pacific wouldn't have been particularly comfortable, would it? Not really. I don't know where they got the seats wrong for it, but they'd... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't interested mm. at that stage. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and what else was it? What else has happened to our... Oh, we had one engine on DC-6 had a problem once. Going across the Tasman, we had to turn around and go back to Christchurch and put the fire out. Oh, wow. Is that a little bit scary? Just a little, just a little. <laughs> How well did they fly on three engines at DC-6? Were they still quite capable? Oh, yes, they, they, they were good. Yeah. They were good. It's better across the Tasman or situation like that rather than a two-engine flying boat. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, now, with the DC-10, 
did you go? Did you fly down to uh, Antarctica with the uh, sightseeing flights? Yes, I did. I did the last one that came back. Oh right, okay. That's my claim to fame. All oh, right. So can you tell me about that? Well, tell me about how they first started doing it for a start and how popular it was and uh, what, what it was like as an experience. Well, it was very popular. Uh, we could do about four in a year around the summer season. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> my flight was at the end of, end of November. Of course, the next one didn't come back, but uh, people came from all over to to fly fly down. Okay. Uh, and how how low would you have normally got uh, over the ice to, you know, so people could see what they're looking at? How, how low would the usual officially the, the you could go down to sixteen thousand feet. All right. And. Uh, and see what you could see from there, then if it was uh, suitable, you could go down lower for a closer look. Oh, OK. And, and did you get down yeah. nice and low or? Sorry? Did you get down nice and low then? Yes, I did. Uh, had a good look at McMurdo base from high level. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying anything else. <laughs> I mean, that must be quite a unique experience for an airline pilot to be able to do something like that. Were any other airlines actually uh, flying sightseeing over Antarctica, you know, maybe from South America or anyone? Or was Air New Zealand the only one doing it? We were the only ones that were doing it. Quanta, I think Qantas took it up later. Right. I think they still do go down there. Right. But uh, yes, it was quite an experience, a very long day. Uh, and uh, something different. And of course, uh, it all came to an end when uh, when the aircraft, the um, DC-10 hit the Mount Erebus. And that must have been a devastating time for the airline. It was. It was quite, uh, quite something we didn't need. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I could explain to you how it all happened, I guess. But well, I'd 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 be interested in hearing what what you um, what you know because <clears throat> you know so, uh, I guess most of it's probably all out there in books and and various documentaries that have been made. But It'd be interesting to hear from a point of view of a pilot who's who's done it himself. So, yeah, well, there's not a lot I can say really, except that I, uh, we, if the weather was really quite clear, we were allowed to fly a bit lower than the than the sixteen thousand feet, and uh, we had uh, guidance from the Antarctic work people that. Worked on on McMurdo and uh, trying to think of the name that chappy that flew with me. He was sitting in the seat behind me and pointing out this, that, and the other thing that we. So I uh, I left the sixteen thousand feet above me and 
flew around Mount Erebus, and uh, which we could see all the way. Right. And uh, if I couldn't see it, I wasn't going to go down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, um, the the aircraft flown by Captain Collins um, had cloud, didn't it? So they decided to descend. Yes, they decided to descend and just flew into cloud, and you can't distinguish this stuff. No. Always remember hearing that in the early days that if, if you couldn't see a black rock somewhere, you're probably too low. We didn't... Uh, I didn't do too much snooping around, so no. we're time limited anyway. Yeah. The time we did a descending turn around Erebus and past the past the base, made a right turn and headed back to Christchurch. Right. How long would the flight take? How, how long did it take? Oh, it was uh, 11 hours, I think it was, something like that. Wow, that's actually, that's quite a long time in those days, isn't it? It is. I'd spent 45 minutes near the base, and that was that was the limit that I had. Yep. How much reserve did you have uh, in terms of, you know, if anything happened? Did, did, like, if you lost an engine or, I don't know, um, was there a bit more reserve than the 11 hours, or was it going to oh, cut it fine? Oh, yes, there was, there was extra extra uh, time available, yes. Right, right. Yeah, but we took off from Auckland uh, and landed in Christchurch to make sure we had plenty of margin. Right. And then a new crew took it over back, back up. We refueled the aircraft and the, and the passengers and the new crew took them back to Auckland that night. Ah, oh, right. Okay, okay. Uh, looking back, what what was your favourite aircraft to fly over your career? Oh, I'd have to say the 10, I suppose. Okay. Apart from the Mustangs. Wait, you flew Mustangs? I flew a Mustang, yes. Couple, ah. couple of times, though. You didn't mention that. Didn't I? No. <laughs> <laughs> so were you... When, um, when were I finished you... the instructor's course at Wigram, they said, well, you've been over flying a Mustang. This is how you do it. And they put you in this thing and uh, off you went. Wow. Okay. That was your learning to fly a Mustang. <laughs> wow. Were they doing that with all the instructors then? I think they were. Well, in the early days anyway, until the, uh, the, the uh, what, what do we call them? The, the spare time guys. Oh, the territorial. Yeah, territorials, yeah. Until they got disbanded. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense because I guess... Uh, I mean, people think the Territorial Air Force were all weekenders, but there were actually quite a few full-time guys, uh, you know, uh, regular RNZF on those squadrons as well, and they they would have had instructors posted to the squadrons. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. to to keep 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 the other guys uh, current. So yeah, that's right. My friend mm. Harold Moss, he he ran one squadron in Auckland, and so yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, I've got a 
uh, a thing about time at the moment. Oh yes, yep. You're we're just on five o'clock here, so it'd be time for you to go. Um, Do you want to well, further chat? I, I think you've almost covered it, haven't you? I mean, yeah, is there anything else that you want to cover, or? Oh no, apart from uh, what what was there? No, there's just so many little things have happened, you know, over the time and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fl flying the Tasman on two and a half engines and a flying boat and things like that. Wow. Um, oh, well, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Okay. That, that's, that's fine. Uh, quite happy. I don't know who's going to have be the receiver of all this information. Oh, there's people out there that'll be interested. I can guarantee it. <laughs> Is that right? Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, okay, well, I'll let you go because I know you've got to go to another call. All right, Dave. Well, nice to have uh, chatted with you, and we'll see, yeah. see you again shortly. Okay, see you later. See you bye, bye bye. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.